Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 37 of Ancient Ways for Modern Days. I am your host, Andrew Wynn, and today I get to do something pretty cool. Today I am by myself, but we are going to go back and listen to an earlier recording that we made this week of Pastor Mike interviewing one of our guest speakers. If you've been attending Valley or just watching online, you know that about, let's see, let's, let's say about two weeks from the time that this recording is released, we had a guest speaker of a lovely couple who are going to do some, they're going to do some incredible work overseas. And we as a church actually have the opportunity to partner with them. Now we thought, you know, since we are partnering with them, since we may be doing a lot of work with them in the future, it would be great for us as a church to get to know them, their heart of the things to come. So sit back, relax, and what you're about to hear right now is our friendly neighborhood, Pastor Mike, interviewing the Perrys. All right, this is Mike Freeman here, and uh, so excited about this interview today. We have with us, we have Kevin and Rachel, and they're here to share about some just incredible work that they have ahead of them as they're preparing to move to Austria. And so I really just wanted to start by introducing you guys to Valley. I know that a lot of people at Valley this weekend got to meet you, but I want to start by just having you share where are you headed and what is the ministry that you're preparing for? Yeah, yeah. Well, first, thanks for having us here. It's been a, a joy to be here this weekend. Um, so Rachel and I are going to be going over to Austria. Uh, we'll be working primarily with Muslim refugees. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, we'll work with any refugees coming into the city who are walking the asylum process, but primarily we'll be working with, uh, refugees from the Middle East, uh, kind of the Near East region of the world. So, uh, we'll, the place that we're serving is called the House of Hope and, uh, it really functions like a community center. And so they offer a bunch of different programs for refugees, things like guitar classes and sewing classes and uh, outings on the weekend. On Friday, there's always a, a sports day where they actually rent out a gym and we'll do soccer one week and then volleyball the next week. And uh, as you can imagine, soccer is huge. So whenever we do the soccer days, it's a big hit and lots of people come to play soccer. So yeah, different things like that. And then coupled through all of that is uh, Bible classes that they offer for refugees. So anybody who wants to learn more about who Jesus is, uh, what, what Christianity is actually about, um, and through that it allows us to build relationships and, and share the gospel. So That's great. And, and uh, t- talking about Bible classes this weekend, Valley got to hear you sh- share about the, the Word of God, the Scripture. And yeah. Kevin got to preach this weekend, did a really good job. Both he and Rachel shared a little bit more of their story, and we'll, we'll kind of circle back to that in a little bit. But uh, what I really like is for Valley to get to know you guys kind of, you know, not on the stage. What, yeah. Like, who you, who are you really? And so um, kind of before we get there, I'd love to have both of you just share, how did you come to know Jesus? How did you come to faith in Christ? Yeah. Why don't you go yeah, first? Yeah, I... Uh grew up going to church with my family. Um, so I just learned all the Bible stories from a young age, but, um, it took, I think a while for it to really click in my heart until I'd gone through some pain and testing to see if my rock really was Christ or if it was something else. Um, and it's just been a continuous journey since then. So, yeah, I'd say I've always kind of been around people who've pointed me to Jesus and that's been a huge blessing for me. Yeah. How about you, Kevin? Yeah, I feel like my story is very different than Rachel's. Um, I grew up with uh, two parents who my dad was raised Catholic and my mom was Southern Baptist. And so we were always going to church and 
some capacity. I was actually an altar boy for a little while, which was kind of fun. I could see that. Yeah, I, got to, uh, I was. Uh, I loved carrying the candles because I it was fire, and I got to walk with right. fire in the church, you know. Um, but it wasn't really until middle school that I started to uh, get interested in Jesus because I started going to youth group. Um, I don't remember ever hearing the name of Jesus before middle school. Obviously, I did because I had grown up in the church, but just never, I have no recollection of that. And then in middle school, started to go to youth groups, started to get connected, and it was actually at a camp that uh, some students from the States came over, some college students put on a camp for us, and we, uh, I remember hearing the gospel message and just like started to bawl, like just couldn't hold back. And I went back during the worship time because uh, I was, you know, a seventh grade boy. So I was trying to hide it from all the girls that were there. Uh, but I went back to talk to my small group leader and he just like prayed with me and talked to me about the Bible. And so then after that, I stuck around and talked with my youth pastor and my small group leader and uh, this college student from uh, the stu- uh, university that came over from Multnomah, actually. Uh, and they just explained to me like, that what I was feeling was the weight of guilt for my sin, but that it didn't have to stop there. Like I, there was, there was a release from that because of what Jesus did. And, and so that's when I really, I would say that I started like my faith journey. Um, and then high school youth group, I got more connected to leadership as, as a student leader and got to uh, teach some lessons in high school youth group and fell in love with ministry. And that's when I would say that I felt called to do practical ministry, like vocational ministry, yeah. uh, which kind of started that whole process of going to Multnomah after that. Yeah. That's cool. You know, it's interesting. You and I have a similar story. I mm-hmm. wasn't raised in, in a Christian home. and and uh, But, you know, having these moments of going to church and stuff, isn't it amazing how you can be around church and Christian uh, kind of culture yeah. without really the emphasis being Christ? Totally. And uh, I, I guess when I hear you say that, it just reminds me how much we have to make sure we're always pointing back to, to the gospel, pointing back to Jesus and not this, yeah. hey, you could be a good person if you're hanging out with us, you know, totally. it's and kind of a danger. I think there's this assumption that when we go to church, that's what makes us a Christian. Like the act of going to church makes us a Christian, but it's it's the act of submitting ourselves to Christ that makes us a Christian, like yeah. in believing in the gospel message. And uh, and it's not, a, it's not about behavior modification, so we can't work our way to it. It's about being changed by the gospel. So yeah. yeah, that was super true for me. You know, you talk about, uh, doing some leadership in youth ministry and, and as a high schooler mm-hmm. and, um, that's cool to hear. And, and Rachel and I, we know each other cause she was a student when I was a youth pastor yeah. and she survived the youth ministry that I led. And <laughs> uh, one of the few kids that survived, um, <laughs> but how, how meaningful was it for you to both you guys to, to have leadership opportunities as high schoolers in the ministry context? It was super valuable for me. I think just realizing that even as a middle and high schooler, I had gifts to offer to those younger than me or the same age as me or people older than me, (laughs) that I could be an example um, by faith. And yeah, it was just really a good jumpstart, I think, into my college experience. And yeah, there's a lot that really helped form me from those years. Yeah. And I would say kind of with that, I think that it made us take ownership, at least for me, it made me take ownership mm-hmm. of my faith. And it, I wasn't able to sit on the sidelines. Like I had to do something about being a Christian. And so early on, like our student leadership team growing up was called doulos, which is the Greek word for servant. Uh, and so our youth, my youth pastor really pushed on me. It's like, this is your youth group. You have to do something about it. I'm not like, this isn't my youth group. I'm just facilitating. This is your youth group. And so uh, we took that seriously. And like, we set everything up. We 
taught lessons. We helped, like, we had a say in the curriculum that we were going to do uh, and, like, the, the series is that we were going to teach and stuff. And so that uh, was super meaningful to me because at 16 was when I felt called to go into pastoral ministry. Uh, and it kind of came out of my experience of getting to, like, prep a lesson at youth group and it was probably terrible (laughs) but it was just that experience really opened up my eyes to like man this is a this is a whole world that i want to do so your your student leadership team was named doulos which is way cooler than ours ours was student leadership team yeah slt SLT, but you know actually that was i inherited that from a previous guy who inherited it from a previous guy and so it's kind of fun to pass that down what would uh what would you guys say to a high schooler listening to this right now who's maybe going to youth group, they're maybe not leading right now, they're just kind of, you know, they know faith is important, but they also maybe sense they're, you know, they're trying to figure out how to grow. What, what would you say to just the average high schooler who's trying to figure out how to follow Jesus and in this world that is pulling their affections and their attentions in a hundred different ways? Well, I say um, just really utilize the leaders that are there for you because mm-hmm. they they have a little bit more like experience and wisdom and just really, um, yeah, take hold of that because I think there's a lot of people that spoke into my life that really helped me realize things that I wouldn't have on my own. So you're not on your own to figure this out. Like find a mentor and just enjoy that experience because that's really important. That's what I'd say. Yeah. And I would say, uh, dive into the Bible. Like I think when I was growing up in, in high school youth group, I read my Bible so much and I carried it with me everywhere. I was like the weird kid who I would take it out in school. And like when I was done homework, I would sit down and read my Bible. Um, it opened up the door for me to share about my faith a lot more. Like I actually started a Bible study, uh, in high school at lunch and we had a couple teachers come to the Bible study. Uh, it was awesome. But more than anything, there's still today, I find myself in situations and I'll have verses come to mind that I haven't read in years, but just because I read it faithfully when I was in high school, I think, yeah, I think it just changes everything, especially when you do have so much in your life today that is pulling you, like culture is pulling and it's enticing. Like it looks fun. Sin looks enjoyable. And so when you see that and when you experience that, it's easy to give into temptation and, and fall into whatever the world says is cool or whatever the world says is good. Um, But when we hold fast to scripture, when we read it constantly, I think that uh, God uses that to protect us uh, and deepen our relationship with him. So I would say, yeah, get a mentor and get in the word and and those things will be so helpful. That's that's spot on. You know, and I've noticed a lot of teenagers, they're kind of intimidated by the Bible. Hmm. But what what I try to, to tell them is, you know... It's intimidating. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. But just start. Totally. And what it does is it layers on top of itself. And in time, you'll start to make those connections. And maybe at first you're like, I don't get all of this. But, yeah. but if you stick with it, it will really start to, mm-hmm. to pay off. And that's cool. Yeah. How, uh, <clears throat> Rachel, how, how, how does someone find a mentor? As you, you know, high school girl looking around, what would you say? What, what advice would you give? Yeah, I'd say just look around for somebody who is pursuing the Lord and who reminds you of Jesus. (laughs) I think those are really good characteristics to have. And just if there's somebody that you kind of want to be like, 
that you're drawn to them for some reason. Yeah, I'd say just look around your church, wherever you are, um, to people that you might already have a relationship with and just ask them if they'd be willing to hang out with you. It doesn't even have to be anything super intense. Just getting together and learning more about each other can do a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I was told, you know, you don't always even have to tell them, hey, will you be my mentor? Yeah. You just, can we get coffee? And then you just Mm -hmm. ask them some questions and Mm -hmm. that's cool. Uh, one more question here and we'll move on. If someone wants to read their Bible, like, like I want to jump in, you know, Valley has a reading plan, but if, if maybe a high schooler is like, I, that's not working for me, what, well, where would you tell someone to start? Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I think the gospels are a great place to start because they're, they're the life of Jesus. So they, and then there's so much there. So like you can read the gospel as you're reading your Bible, most likely you'll see a little number by different words or different parts of scripture. And then at the bottom, that's a footnote and it'll tell you somewhere else to go. And like, you just follow that, like, just go read the Bible and you'll uh, read in Matthew and you'll, you'll come across something and it's a reference to Isaiah. Well, like just flip your Bible back over and read Isaiah and, and just start doing that. I've also found personally, and even still today, I love the Bible project videos. Uh, they make illustrated uh, vi- videos explaining books of the Bible. I find those helpful when I'm before and after reading a book, watch that video because it, it helps me understand the big picture. So then when I'm in the midst of reading Matthew and you're reading the genealogy and you're like, man, and then Aminadab had uh, <laughs> Nadab and it's like, man, who are these people? It's easy to get discouraged at that point. But when you watch the Bible Project video, it helps you see like the reason for that stuff. Yeah. And so it motivates you as you're reading. But yeah, the Gospels are a great place to start. Uh, honestly, if I actually, if I had to pick one place specifically, I would say read Luke Acts. Like read Luke. It's the story of Jesus's life. Mm-hmm. And then it leads into Acts. And that's the story of the early church. And it's just so cool to, to see God's hand through that. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And so uh, just to make sure I'm understanding, the Bible Project, they, they do videos and like a, a book overview. Yeah. And so it's like five to 10 minutes. Yeah. You watch it before and after and it gives you that context. And- yeah, exactly. And they're really creative. They're really <clears throat> funny. Like the animation's really good. Uh, so it's, it's engaging. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. Starting in the Gospels just over and over again, that you can't go wrong there. Yeah. And, and Luke Acts, that's really good. Yeah. Very cool. Um, any other thoughts as you think about teenagers that might be listening that are pursuing Christ? And Just one thought, too, uh, for, for especially high schoolers out there. Like, you guys have way more to offer than what society tells you. And I think from, like, if you are willing to be used by God, I think you can see a movement in your high school if you're just faithful to tell people about Jesus, you don't have to know all the theology. You don't have to have a degree or anything like that. Like you can start now just like telling people about Jesus. And I think you'll see a, a lot of cool stuff start to happen. So I would encourage you to do that. Yeah. Jesus says when you're faithful with little, you know, he'll give you more, right? Totally. So that's, that's great. Well, let's, uh, let, let me, let me ask you guys now, you guys are married. How long have you been married? Four and a half years. Four and a half years. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners, I mean, you mentioned it briefly today in the, the intro, but, mm-hmm. but how'd you guys meet? Tell us about kind of your getting to know each other and getting married. Yeah. Well, it was raining and no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> we started Multnomah the same year. And so we lived in brother, sister dorm sections. So we did a lot of kind of events that way. So we met 
like right away, but we didn't start dating until our second year, like in the spring. Right? Yeah. Well, and actually the first, I think it was the first night we met was during orientation, uh, during the welcome dinner, because we sat with brother, sister dorm sections mm-hmm. and we sat across from each other. Uh, and we just like shared our story, like our life story with each other. And Rachel's just like, man, you're really cool. Yeah. And so that, no, <laughs> but, see me. Yeah, that that's what kind of started it. So from the very beginning we were we were really good friends. Uh and then all through Multnomah we had every class together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the semester we started dating, we had every single class except for one. And then we worked together in the admissions office and we worked together in student life. And we went to the same church. And we went to the same church. So <laughs> So it was an arranged marriage. Yeah. Pretty much. Just, God just was like, you guys can't escape yeah. each other. Okay. We just yeah. like naturally started uh, doing everything together. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Again, I, I think about young people. A lot of people are like, how do I find the right person and whatnot? And so I like to ask that question sometimes because it, it's... It illustrates like, well, there's different ways for everyone, but totally. um, it's, it's a cool story. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are now married four and a half years. You, you've got some Bible degrees. You've got lots of experience in different places in the world going on mission. Um, but your heart is for unreached people group, right? So how did God shape both of your hearts to become so, um, I guess, so, <clears throat> so like, one direction in your mind, like you just, you're focused. You you guys have this, this laser like focus. How did God shape that in you guys? I think in my life, I can see it in a couple different spots. Uh, A really early one is this vivid memory I have of in Sunday school, walking into the room and it was all decorated for missions. Um, And there was tribal Hindu, unreached Chinese, Muslim and Buddhist people that we were talking about. And I just, I really felt even from then that I was supposed to be a part of telling these people about Jesus. And um, yeah, I think I just see it woven in to my life since then and the different experiences I've had. Um, There was also a chapel speaker who came to Multnomah and he was from Wycliffe and he was talking about translating the Bible into languages for people who don't have the Bible in their language. And that really stuck with me too. For a while, I wanted to do like exactly that. Um, but I think just things like that have really showed me what my own heart was made for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, For me, it was, uh, really just early on my having grown up overseas in a military context. When I started attending church on my own, as a high schooler, it was an international Baptist church. And so I just automatically assumed that being in ministry meant cross-cultural because that's what my work, like context was. And then coming to the States, I just had a heart for evangelism. Like I loved telling people about Jesus. I loved it in high school as a new believer. Uh, I still love it today. And there was a, I came into Multnomah as a pastoral studies major the first week of being on campus, I started to kind of feel weird about being around so many Christians and not having an opportunity to share the gospel. And so one night I was new in Portland. I had been in Portland for like two weeks maybe. uh, And I was just like getting restless. And so it was like 10 p.m. at night. I just got on my bicycle and I started riding down Gleason, uh, which is like, I didn't know it at at the time, but it's a pretty sketchy area of like 82nd and Gleason in Portland. Um, but I was just writing and I was like, okay, God, would you just open up a door for me to like meet somebody? I can help somebody move something or do something. I just need to talk to somebody and, and try to meet somebody who doesn't know you so I can tell them. 
Uh, and then I looked over and there was a garage door open with a bunch of guys playing pool. And so I just like turned my bike around across the street and went up and I was like, hey, uh, my name's Kevin. Can I hang out with you guys? And it turned out that they were all Somali Muslim refugees. Uh, and so that just opened up a door for me to play pool. I did not know how to play pool. <laughs> so I was uh, not very good, but they were super gracious. Uh, they were like, first thing you do is put $20 on yeah, the table. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's all. Just 20 bucks, and we'll call it good. Uh, but they, yeah, they let me play pool with them, and I hung out for about an hour and a half or something like that. Um, and I just got to tell them, like, yeah, I'm at Multnomah. I'm studying the Bible, and I, you know, I love Jesus. And I got to tell them a little bit about that, and they told me a little bit about Islam and their faith. And I just left feeling super stoked about it. And so when I went back to school, told everybody, and virtually everybody was like, yeah, I think you're in the wrong program. I think uh, that you're, you want the missions program. And I just didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> I just thought that being a pastor meant you were overseas. But that's when I learned what a missionary was. I love the differences of your guys' story because it shows how like these early experiences, cross-cultural or or a church that's intentionally having you pray for the nations and thinking missionally, like th- that makes a big difference. And it makes me think about churches now, even Valley, like some of our efforts that are small, but trying to get people to totally. think about w- w- the reality of the world and the reality of how many people are lost and the reality of those who have yet to hear the gospel, you know, that, that stacks on the life of someone, hopefully mm-hmm. in time. So that Mm -hmm. people will answer that call. Well, it's it's funny you say that too, because I think it even it's almost like a dangerous prayer to start to pray because what just the fact that the valley is starting to have these conversations and and you've having these uh, yeah these these conversations about unreached people groups. I'm I won't be surprised if in ten fifteen years you see a ton of people from valley going on the mission field because I think that's how God works is He uses moments like these to then plant little seeds that are going to grow into people going out on the field. And so I'm excited, but it also is dangerous because you're like, okay, that means that you're (laughs) going to have to go and you're going to lose, like you're going to lose some people who are going overseas to do God's ministry and you're going to miss out on certain things. It's hard, but it's exciting and good. That's really encouraging because it's like, uh, it's a slow grind sometimes and you know, it pays off in the end, but when you're just planting those seeds, it's it's interesting. Mm. It actually reminds me of someone years ago, like at a, at a church where talking a lot about missions. And I remember someone saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad our church is going to all these places, but my, my daughter's never going to go. Hmm. And he was like, my daughter's never going to go on missions then. And, uh, you know, it makes me think about my kids yeah. and, you know, this exposure and, and, uh, you know, the Lord knows though, and he's going to be faithful. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. In terms of unreached people groups, there's, there's a lots of different kinds there's some that are tribal and just in the middle of nowhere. and um, But then there's also a lot that are really, uh, they have a Muslim worldview, and that's kind of what they know, and, and Jesus is viewed very differently. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of your guys' heart is for those who are from that Muslim worldview and perspective. Um, I, I kind of just want to open up this can and just like lay, allow you guys to share, because you've done a lot of research, you've done a lot of experience, a lot of study. Tell us about the Muslim world. Tell us about <clears throat> the need for the gospel and and how the gospel is like uh, impacting those um, that are coming out of the Muslim world. Yeah. yeah, I man, this is. I wish we had all day <laughs> to talk about Islam because I think that it's such a it's such a fascinating topic to me. Um, I I think within the Muslim worldview, it's way more diverse than what we think. Like there's there's so many denominations within Islam. There's so many different people groups and beliefs. There's Middle Eastern Muslims. There's Southeast Asian Muslims. There's 
Like it's just so vast and different. And so it's really, it's hard to even define what is true Islam. Um, But what's true within all of it is this misunderstanding and this really, I think it's, it's the evil one getting people off track, but they've taken who Jesus is and, and taken his deity out of Mm -hmm. the equation. And, and that's what's re- like, ultimately, that's the biggest thing, right? Like, that's the biggest difference is that they've taken Jesus and made him just a prophet. He's just a teacher. Uh, but even within Islam, even within the Quran, their holy book, like their their uh, Bible is the Quran. Even within that, you can see that Jesus is this, he's a perfect and sinless prophet, that he is uh, was born of the Virgin Mary, uh, that he died on the cross, though they they read it in a way that says he doesn't die. There's you could make an argument from the Quran that Jesus actually died on the cross, and so there, there's so much there, and and yet there's this spiritual blindness uh, that is up, um, and so really our heart and our desires to go be a part of what God is already doing and breaking down that spiritual blindness, so that they might see that the Jesus for who He truly is. Um, there's, uh, within Islam, there is no certainty of faith. The prophet Muhammad actually even said that he could die and get to heaven and Allah would, could cast him out and he would be perfectly righteous and just in doing so. And so now as, if, as a modern day Muslim, you're like, well, if, if the prophet, the greatest person, the pinnacle of what we are supposed to strive for has no guarantee, how am I supposed to have a guarantee? And then you introduce them to Jesus and you say, well, actually, we do have this guarantee of salvation, not because of what anything I could do, but because of what he has already done. And there's just so much hope there. Um, And yet their view of who Jesus is, is just so wrong. And it holds them back from experiencing this great hope and joy and peace that we have. Um, So that's, yeah, that's just like a motivation of ours is to share this hope and peace and joy uh, that is knowing Jesus with Muslims. Wow. There, you said a lot there. Yeah. There's a lot. A lot I mean, I'm just saying I've all these kind of thoughts and questions because usually you think about the uh, Islam and you think about the, the Sunni and the Shiites. Totally. The two sects. Yeah. Yet, yet you're saying that it's it's much more oh, diverse yeah. than that. And, and we don't hear, I guess, you know, in America, yeah. 21st century, you don't hear about that. Totally. There's Ahmadi Muslims. <clears throat> there's Sufi Muslims all throughout like Pakistan and India, Sufi Islam mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, there's there's so many. It's it's really quite fascinating. In, in, even within Sunni and Shiites, there's different schools of thought. Different uh, there's their commentaries on on the Quran or on the Hadith. So the Quran is the holy book. The Hadiths are the sayings of the Prophet. So things that Muhammad had said that is used to uh, kind of it's like second in command to the Quran. And then there's what's called the Tafsir. Uh, and that's like the commentaries. Um, so, so what theologians, Muslim theologians, have written about the Quran, and there's just like a vast array of different opinions, different uh, interpretations of the books. There's like Sufi Muslims, which if you ever meet an American, uh, like a Westerner who has converted to Islam, most likely they've converted to Sufi Islam or have been influenced by that. It's this like very spiritual. Uh, form of Islam, this mystical form of Islam. Um, within that, it's the worldview is that there's actually four different ways of interpreting truth. And so then there's like, within it, Sufi Islam, there's so much diversity. So it really gets complicated. And 
Uh, it's a big world. And I think, honestly, it's just like, it's just lie upon lie from the enemy to, to get humanity off track from yeah. worshiping the true God. Yeah, that gets us back. I mean, there, there's two other things. Like, one is assurance, and we'll go to that in a second. But but the idea of... Um, <clears throat> the, the idea that, uh, that that their view of Jesus is diminished. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I was going to say is, you know, really every cult, every every heresy, somewhere along the line, they're, they're just diminishing and lessening the, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They're twisting it. They're, they're shading it one way or another. Yeah. It sounds like that's... That's what you experienced there. Oh, totally. And and it's interesting too, because if you were to read just the Quran, you would have a high view of Jesus. And in fact, I've even heard of Muslim background believers. So people who have come to faith and left Islam for faith in Jesus uh, say that it started with just reading the Quran for and, and trying to see who Jesus is in the Quran. And yet even then, the commentary about the Quran and the Hadiths the sayings of Muhammad are what diminish Jesus even more. So if you were to just read the Quran, you would have a higher view of Jesus over Muhammad. Uh, Muhammad is only um, credited with performing, I think, one miracle, and that's the writing of the Quran. He's not credited with being sinless. And in fact, in the Quran, you actually have a lot of interactions between Muhammad and Allah where he uh, kind of chastises Muhammad and he Muhammad's doing the wrong thing and Allah has to correct him. And yet in, in the Quran, Jesus is sinless. Jesus has performed so many miracles. They actually have kind of this funny story of Jesus from the crib uh, when Mary, his mother, brings them to people and they're like, Mary, why did you do this? Uh, baby Jesus in the crib has this dialogue where he rebukes all of the people and that's his first miracle. Um, and so even a reading of the Quran, you're like, okay, Jesus, there's something different about him. And yet, if you were to ask the average day Muslim, their view of Jesus is that he's just an, a prophet. Like, yeah, he's a great prophet, but so is Abraham, and so is Aaron, uh, and so is uh, uh, Adam is a pro- great prophet, and David's a great prophet. Like, he's just one of the many. And then Muhammad is the final and great prophet. Which is contrary to Hebrew, isn't yeah. how it talks about Christ. But it's that, that needle of truth in a haystack of error is, mm-hmm. is kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah. Now, the, the final thing, I guess, it, unless you want to expand more, is that idea of assurance. Yeah. You know, I, earlier this morning, I was actually talking to someone, and we were talking about Jesus and the, the thief on the cross, and he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Like that that assurance to someone who was being, being murdered because of his crimes, mm-hmm. who was guilty, and yet by faith was going to experience salvation in that moment, right? And and what a um, what a hard way to live, Yeah, to, to be striving and working so hard to, to try to get God's approval, but never having that assurance. Yeah. It's essentially is a workspace faith. Like we have to work our way to, to get God's grace. And, and even then there's no guarantee he's going to give it to us. It's just this hope that when we die, he'll look at our good deeds and they'll outweigh our bad deeds. Um, and in fact, really the only guarantee of being in paradise within Islam is dying under jihad. And that's why it, depending on how you read the Quran and how you apply it. Uh, that's why a more fundamentalist view, it's so enticing because if you die during jihad in, in holy war, then you're guaranteed paradise and you're kind of fast tracked into paradise. So it, it's totally understandable. Like, of course you are going to do that because who doesn't want to be in paradise? Right. 
Um, now that is not, I think the, it's easy as an American to say, okay, well that's all of Muslims. It's for sure not all of Muslims. In fact, most of our experience, I would probably say 99% of Rachel and I's personal experience with a Muslim is that they are like the kindest people. They're loving, they're friendly, they're hospitable. It's, it's just that they have these blinders. They bleed this lie. Um, but yeah, it's that insurance. And, and so when you can, when you can share with somebody, uh, one that Jesus took on our sin by dying on the cross and raising from the grave. And two, you share with them Ephesians, right? Like it's by grace that we have been saved, not by works, so that nobody can boast. Like that is just, it's so, it's so beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful as a Christian, but how much more having been told your whole life that you have to work hard to win God's favor. And then you're like, well, no, he's already given it to you in Jesus. All you have to do is repent and believe. Um, yeah, so it, it is, I think the, the gospel message is so good uh, for Muslims to hear. Um, it's just, we need people to go tell them. Yeah, and I, I would just piggyback on that. It's good for us to remember that you, you mentioned American perceptions of mm-hmm. the Muslim world and a Muslim person, but you know, the scripture talks about they're not our enemies. Yeah. They're, they're, they've been captive. They're a captive of the, of our enemy. Totally. And they're being led astray to do his will. And, uh, that's why it's so important to pray for them and to, to love them and engage them, which totally. is, I guess this is our segue to, you know, you guys are headed to the house of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you share just a little bit more about that ministry and what kind of interaction you're hoping to have? Yeah. with people of the Muslim world and in the ministry they are hoping to do there. Yeah. The house of hope has, um, a lot of opportunities for relationship building and getting to know the people that live in the city. Um, so there's, uh, one of the best ones is international cafe where they just have the espresso machine go in for hours and just play games and I'm ready to go with each other. Yeah. Right? That's all you need. <laughs> um, but they also have Bible classes. So people who are, um, not believers yet, but have heard about Jesus and want to know more. There's like a beginner's class for that. Um, and then there's one for, uh, more for believers who want to dig in deeper. And then there's also a prayer breakfast. So Mm. there's just lots of ways for people to just keep walking on their journey with getting to know, um, Jesus and get, getting to learn about the Bible with people who they've been building relationships with. So that's kind of what we're hoping to jump into. So kind of just living life together and, and sharing with one another. Yeah. I think uh, it's funny because when you think about like sharing the gospel or like going as a worker overseas, it feels like it needs to be this like grand, like big thing. We're going to go out and it's going to, we're going to build a building. We're going to, and it's like, well, that could be it for sure. But in reality, we just want to go do life in a way that invites people along that we can actually share about Jesus. And so it's a lot of what we can do and are doing now. Like we go to the grocery store and we try to have good conversations. We, uh, we, in fact, I, uh, somebody was, I was listening to a podcast one time and the guy was saying that discipleship is really just whatever you do, invite somebody along to do it with you. And so it's like, that's what we want to do. We want to go over to Austria. We're going to invite people over for dinner, play board games, go on walks, go hopefully on hikes. We love hiking. So we want to go on hikes and things like that. And we're going to invite refugees to do it. We're going to invite our our Muslim friends to do it. And as we do it, we're going to talk about Jesus. And we're going to hopefully get to share who he truly is and what he's done for them. So... That's really awesome. And that's cool that you say it because last week, the the podcast we recorded, 
we actually spent some time, we kind of got derailed, but we were talking about how ministry today is more about the average ordinary, just, just inviting people into life and, and being intentional rather than the, let's do these big flash in the pan events, like come, come to the show. It's, it's more like, let's just be real mm-hmm. and let's just love people in very genuine ways. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really encouraging. And, and the, the parallel for here is, is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what else would you, you know, we're going to wrap up here in just a second, but what else would you like our listeners to hear about the house of hope, at least at this point right now? Yeah. Well, so a big thing is just with COVID, um, we don't know what it's going to look like once we get there. There's actually even a, a chance that uh, it's kind of this really cool story, but there's this chance that we're going to tear down the House of Hope to build up an even better building and facility. Okay. Um, so we don't know what that's going to all look like. Um, luckily, the team that we're joining has been doing this work for 20 plus years. And, and actually, the House of Hope is their first building that they've actually had that was built in like... Was it 2006, I think, something like that. Um, So it hasn't really been a long time that they've had a facility to do ministry out of. So we're confident that like no matter what, right when we get there, we'll still be able to do ministry. We just don't know exactly like, is it only going to be inviting people to our apartment or, you know, anything like that? Um, So we're just excited. We ask people to pray for that, pray that, I mean, God's plan is the best plan. And so we're, we're just excited no matter what, whether it's inviting them still to the physical house of hope or whether the house of hope moves into all of our smaller apartments and houses. As you know, um, but it's a great, it's a great ministry. Uh, we do everything from like food distribution to all the classes that, uh, Rachel talked about. Um, and it really offers community for these people that so often feel isolated. Um, and we're excited to see how many of the people from the Valley get to come and uh, be a part of that as well. Yeah. In time, I'm sure we will. Yeah. You know, uh, I would also say, um, you guys, you mentioned a website changes and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'll just say, you know, if, if you're listening and you want to support them you know, financially, I, I'd say right now you could, you could go to our website, vcflongview.org and, uh, and in the give spot, just write a note to the Perry's and we can, you know, we can make sure it gets to them at least as you guys are trying to figure some things out and yeah. whatnot. But we're, we're hoping to, as a church, we're going to support you and, and looking to, forward to seeing where that goes. Um, you know, a few podcasts I listen to, they do this thing like these, like, uh, like rapid fire questions in the end. And I always enjoy it because it makes me like hear about what other people are listening to and reading. And totally. stuff. So I want to, I want to end with that. And then I, I want to pray for you guys. And so, uh, here it goes. What are you reading yeah. right now? Like what, what are you reading? that's really making a difference in your life. I'm reading the space trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> by Lewis. Lewis. I've always wanted to read it. So now I finally get to, I've been doing, um, like school reading and books like that for so long that this is my first, like for fun mm-hmm. read. So it's been really nice. I like it. That's awesome. <laughs> what book are you on? The second one, Paralandra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yep. It just keeps getting weirder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Uh, I'm reading uh, right now. So I'm in school right now, working on a master's in Muslim studies. So everything I read is all uh, school related. But for fun on the side, I just started Expository Exaltation by John Piper. So I'm really excited for that. I'm only like, I think I've only finished the introduction, but I'm excited for it. I like John Piper. That's great. That's great. Uh, What music are you listening to? Uh, we've been listening more recently to the Grey Havens, yeah. so you know them. I do. Yeah, yeah, they're they're really good. I like them a lot. Yeah. So Grey Havens, mm-hmm. Antoine Bradford, yes. uh, is just awesome music. Uh, really good. And then uh, John Guerra, John John Guerra, and Chris Renzema or Renzema. I'm not sure how to say his last name. Okay. All four of those people are awesome. What kind of genre is that? 
Well, so Antoine Bradford uh, is more of like, I don't know, like easy listening, like almost R&B kind of, I think. I don't know. Good at the genres. Yeah. Do you know Leon Bridges? No. Okay. We're gonna have to go Google all yeah. these. Yeah. <laughs> Antoine Bradford's really good. Just like I could listen to him. Like so, it's raining right now. Today's like a perfect day to sit with a cup of coffee and listen to some Antoine yeah. Bradford. Gotcha. Uh, Chris Renzema has just such poetic and beautiful music about God. I just love him. And then John Guerra. Kind of similar. Yeah, kind of similar. Chris Renzema and John Guerra are definitely more in the like hip, uh, like. Hip and cool music. I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> hip and cool is what I would say. Cool kids with yeah. cool music. Yeah. Hey, what, uh, are you listening to any good podcasts right now? Besides, you know, the VCF, one, yeah, our, our VCF podcast. Exactly. You know, that's know, actually all I listen to. Yeah. I, I mean, so, you guys are going to be episode 37. Dang. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Well, that's, that's an honor. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I, I've been listening to She Reads Truth, the podcast. Um, that one's really good. They just walk through different Bible plans and talk about it together. They have guest speakers come on, and that's been really fun. Yeah. I actually, I'm going to throw one out there that I ha- I'm not listening to now. I've already listened to it, but it's called The Truth About Muslims. Uh, and it's put on through the Zwimmer Institute. Mm-hmm. Samuel Zwimmer was one of the first modern, like I think 1900s, but like modern day uh, missionaries to the to Muslims. Um, and it comes out of uh, Columbia International University. Cool. But Truth About Muslims, really funny. I think they changed their name to like, uh, it's Truth About Muslims, Zombie Apocalypse and Christians <laughs> or something weird like that. Okay. But it's a lot of fun and it's really uh, helpful in understanding Muslims. Well, very cool. Well, maybe we'll post a link or two. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'd love to pray for you, Kevin yeah. and Rachel. And uh, before I do, big thank you to Andrew. Andrew, our uh, our silent uh, partner over here. <laughs> He's uh, working all the the tech stuff. So, Make thanks, man, for making good. this happen. Um, it's it's awesome to be part of a great team. So, let's uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what what a gift it is to uh, hear how you are working in Kevin and Rachel's lives. And the way you're uh, you're really shaping their heart for this work in Austria and, and who knows what beyond that. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to partner with them, to support them, not only in prayer, but but financially as, as Valley steps into uh, caring for them. And Lord, we look forward to the opportunity of having teams for Valley go and, and be part of this great ministry. And Father, I pray that you would, first of all, you would guard their hearts and minds with peace. As they're preparing to, to go and the date of going keeps getting pushed back and, and they're unsure what it's going to look like when they get there in terms of if the House of Hope has a building or if they're, they're ministering out of their apartments, Lord, you, you know exactly how that's going to work. So, Father, I pray that you truly would give them that peace knowing that you're, you've already gone ahead of them and you're already paving the way. And, uh, and so, Lord, in that peace, I pray that when they do go, they would be able to minister out of so much joy and hope. I pray that you would use the the friendships and the relationships they build to to lead people not only from um, uh, a Muslim background but but many people from all over the world that you you would use these relationships to lead people to faith in Christ so that on that day when we all stand before your throne that there are be, be more and more voices declaring how awesome you are declaring how amazing it is to know your grace that has been displayed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this work that you really are the one doing. We pray this in Jesus' name.